I'm excited to speak with you this morning, and uh, I always lament that we don't have as much time as I would like to have to cover this topic, but you guys have been in this series called The Practice and the Presence, and um, I wanted to finish the series this morning just by talking, well, by talking about prayer. Um, I think that the effort to develop an ongoing trusting, uh, conversational relationship with God is one of the most important things that can happen to us in our lives. And it's a funny thing because we are church people, and so you would expect that this is one of the things that we do well, you know? Like, okay, welcome to being part of the people of God 101. Let's talk about how to interact with God on an ongoing basis. And, but the truth is that probably most of us that are sitting in this room this morning, are probably in some place, um, there's some measure of like going, man, I wish, well, like I wish I had more of that. And I wish that those dry places of my soul and those empty places of my soul were less dry and less empty, and I just don't know how to go about doing that. And one of the great joys of my life has been being on a journey of learning how to interact with God wherever he may be found, which is everywhere. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to walk you through... um, Well, the meaning of a prayer life, really. And then I want to take you into, instead of, you know how normally on a Sunday morning with New Life Young Adults, we'll take like 10 minutes around the table to like talk about the thing. Um, I think that prayer is a thing that's probably, it's better um, to talk about it less and do it more. And so at the end, I'll talk for about 25 minutes or so, maybe 30 minutes. And then at the end, we're going to spend like 10 minutes. I want to model for you how you can begin to develop a, a deeper and richer experiential relationship with God, and hopefully, uh, in, well, hopefully in doing that, you'll hear God speak to you in some way, and something in you will be touched. And on top of that, if you also walk out of here with like a tool that you can use, then that would be a good thing. So um, let me, before we get started, um, well, let's just invite the Lord's presence among us. Would you do that? Would you just, if you're chewing on your bagel or drinking your coffee, would you set it down real quick, swallow that bite, and still yourself in the presence of God? You might even um, just turn your hands, palms up. Yeah. Take a couple deep breaths. You inhale his kindness. And exhale your worry. Inhale his mercy. Bible says his mercies are new every morning. Inhale his mercy and just exhale your fear. Inhale his goodness, his commitment to you. Exhale your darkness and your shame. Inhale an awareness of his presence. Exhale distraction. Can't you just even sense him in this moment now? His presence beginning to dawn on you. Paul said that in him we live and move and have our being. 
That means we don't have to do lots of fancy tricks to get God to come. He's already here. And he loves us. My goodness, he loves us. The heart of the Father is wide open. The heart of the Son is wide open. And the presence of the Holy Spirit is right here and right now. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We know that you are always present, but we are welcoming you to do the work that you want to do in us. We say, make us aware of your presence. Open our eyes to you. Make our hearts aware of you. And I'm praying this morning that wherever we are stuck, wherever we are dark, wherever we feel lost in our souls, I'm praying that you would come to find us. The scripture says that he, the shepherd, searches after the lost sheep until he finds them. You are relentless in your pursuit of us. Help us yield to that, we pray. We're asking this morning as we open the scriptures that new light would break forth from them. That as we share truth that we have not yet apprehended would be unveiled for us. That it would race around this room. And that we'd find ourselves coming home to you. We're asking, may the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. The book of Exodus chapter 33, one of my favorite places in the scriptures, uh, an image that I go to often when I think about my own prayer life and what it means to interact with and... um, Dwell with the living God. Listen to this. It's up on the screen um, behind me here and to my left, I guess. Exodus 33 and verse 7. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and they stood at the entrances to their tents watching Moses until he entered the tent. So this tent is set up and it has this sort of a mystical almost function and meeting in Israel's life that Moses would go into this tent of meeting and listen to the Lord on behalf of the people. And so they would watch Moses until he entered the tent. And as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and it would stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. And whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they all stood and they worshiped each at the entrance to their tent. And then the Lord would speak to Moses face to face. Face to face. As one speaks to a friend. And then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. There's this space that Moses went to where he encountered God. And we learn from more of the book of Exodus that Moses never actually could, he couldn't actually see. So even though he was speaking with God face to face, he couldn't see the face of God because nobody can see the face of God. In fact, the one time Moses really, really sees God, God shelters him so that he can only see the back of God. He can only sort of see where God was. But still, it's like an expression of intimacy. I have these four little kids and uh, every once in a while, I remember when they were babies, you know, I would get down right in their faces, I wanted to smell their breath. And I just, I got down on their, just like that, right? 
and you talk to them and interact with them and look at them, and babies can't see very far away, you know? So you have to get, they can't see you when you're far off. So you have to get right in their space. And I would just tell them, I would look in their faces and I would go, Daddy loves you. Daddy loves you. Daddy loves you. And sometimes when I was rocking them in the middle of the night, Mandy would have me get up um, and take shifts in the middle of the night with the kids. And I'd get up with the kids and I just remember when they were little babies, I'd pull their fuzzy little heads close to my head, temple to temple, and I'd whisper in their ear, as I rocked them, daddy loves you. Your daddy loves you. Your daddy loves you. And my goal in that was that they would have an impress of their father's love deep in their soul in this sort of pre-sensible way, right? They can't at five weeks old, six weeks old, 30 months old, six months old. They can't rationally comprehend any of that in the way that we can't really rationally comprehend very much at all of God, but still the desire of God is to get right up on us. I love you. Daddy loves you. You can trust me. And he wants to awaken something in us through that. And still now my oldest kid, Ethan, is 11 now. So he's going into, he's in middle school. He wears deodorant and Axe body spray and he's got cool hair and stuff. And I still... I still, every once in a while, I grab his face and I look him square in the eyeballs and I go, Ethan, dad loves you. It's like I'm trying to establish something because I know that in that space, if I can establish a space of communion with him, a space of love with my kids, then I'm creating the conditions for their flourishing. And so I fight to have that communion established. And that is what Moses experienced with God face-to-face. In fact, that interaction that Moses had with God, we'll learn about this later in 2 Corinthians. I'll read this later. But it was such a profound experience that it said that when he came out of the tent of meeting or when he came down from the mountain, the times that he would go up to the mountain and meet with God, it said that his face would be so glorious that people were afraid of looking at it. So he would put a veil over his face. It was like too like, oh, God. Something happened to this guy, right? He's interacted with the living God. This is crucial for us. It's crucial for all of us. Brother Roger of the Tizay community in France once said that right at the depth of the human condition lies the longing for a presence, the silent desire for a communion. Let us never forget that this simple desire for God is already the beginning of faith. Are you hungry for God at all this morning? Is there a part of you that desires communion with God? Brother Roger says that that's already the beginning of faith. The faith that allows us to come close to God and brings God close to us. That desire for him is already awakening that in us. And I think that that's true. The New Testament writers understood that entering into this place of communion had a real impact on us. It changed us. It unveiled something in our souls. Listen to John, one of Jesus' closest friends. John, who knew Jesus so well and knew deep intimacy with him, says this in 1 John chapter 3. He says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. Do you understand that? Do you understand that? I don't know how you've been defined in your life, or what you've been called, or what people have put on you, or what people have said to you, everybody's always trying to define us, aren't they? 
shove us into some box. Stuff maybe that your parents said to you when you were little. Stuff that they always said to you. Oh, you're just a fill in the blank. Oh, why do you always fill in the blank? Oh, you'll never be more than fill in the blank. And we get these things thrown on us. And you know what they do? They trap us in a way of being that thwarts the fullness of God in our lives. And these early Christians, when they came into an apprehension of God, when they first began to experience a God, the experience was so profound that they, didn't, they, that they didn't sort of say, oh, we've had an experience of the transcendent. But it was like closer than that. The great St. Augustine said that God was not just higher than our highest heights, superior sumio meo, he said, but he said that God was more inward than his most inward depths, interior intimo meo, is what he said. The experience of intimacy with God was so profound that they said, oh, we're God's kids now. That that becomes the defining reality of our lives as God draws near to us in that face-to-face interaction. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. John says that we should be called the children of God, shock of all shocks, not slaves of God, not workers for God, but beyond that, God's very kids. When I look at my kids, my heart swells with joy. I remember um, when they started getting a little bit bigger, you know, when they're little, little, when they're first born, their faces are all kind of mushy. They just kind of have these chubby little cute faces. But as they get older and their faces kind of start to harden, you have these moments where you go, oh, geez, you kind of look like me. And so still, I'm telling you, I mean, we, I've been a parent now for 11 years. And still now, we'll be driving around in the van and I'll look in the rearview mirror and I'll look at Ethan or I'll look at Gabe or Bella or Liam and I'll go, this is so weird. I'm going to like nudge my wife. I'll go, they kind of look like us. And they sort of act like us too. It's so bizarre. Being a parent is like the most bizarre. And I'm telling you, the moment I met those kids and the feeling has never waned, not for one second of my life, they are the pride and the joy and the delight of my life. And they don't even know it. I try to communicate it to them. I love you. And they just kind of, okay, whatever, dad. Can I play video games now? And I would lay down in the train tracks for them. I'd take a bullet for them. I would do anything for them. I would exhaust myself for their good because they're my, they're my babies. With each one of us in this room, that is how God feels about us. We're his kids. And when he looks at us, he sees a reflection of himself. He goes, Matthew, oh, he kind of looks like me. <laughs> Shailene, she kind of looks like me. That's so crazy. Mark kind of looks like me. I love him. That's the way that God feels about us. And so that's what we are. He says the world, the reason that the world doesn't know us is that it doesn't know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet even been made known. So the world can't see it yet, what we are. But he says this, we know that when Christ appears, we will be what? Say it with me. We will be, why? I need your participation. (laughs) We will be like him. Why? What does it say? Oh, dang. So that's how that works. That when we stare at the face of the living God, 
that has come to us in Jesus Christ, somehow something of our own countenance, it like molds itself after him. We become a mirror of the infinite God that is made known in Jesus. And that is happening. I'm telling you, it is happening in the here and the now. The whole art and discipline of prayer is an attempt to see the face of God. And, most, and Paul says that we stare at a glass now, but darkly, right? It's like we're looking through a foggy sort of pain to see God. Like Moses, he spoke to God face to face, but he couldn't see the face of God. He saw sort of images and refractions of the face. But even that for Moses was enough to lift his countenance up. To make him glorious as God was glorious. And so when Jesus finally appears, John says, we will finally, like, we will be made like him. For we shall see him as he is. And then he says, everybody who has that hope in him purifies himself in the here and now. Even as that one is pure. Brothers and sisters, I am telling you, we can be made like Jesus in the here and the now by seeing his face, by beholding his countenance, by letting his breath fall on us. Something in us will wake up and we will become as he is. Are you with me this morning? One of the people in my life that exemplified this the most was uh, an elderly lady in our congregation in Wisconsin. I was born and raised in a non-denominational charismatic church in Wisconsin. And we had this lady in our congregation by the name of uh, Ola. Ola Zagarek was her name. An old German lady about four foot zero. She was like a hobbit. And uh, Ola had such a unique and beautiful story. Ola was married until she was about in her 60s and then her husband passed away. And at that point... She just kind of held the matter before the Lord. Lord, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to seek out a husband again? Or do you want me to do something else? And in her soul, she felt like the Lord was saying, I want you to marry me. Give yourself over completely to me. And so she said, okay, Jesus, I'll do that. Little tiny old lady, four foot zero, Ola Zagarek, central Wisconsin. She married Jesus. And this lady was one of the fullest of the Holy Spirit as persons I have ever known in my life. She's kind of this walking sort of legend in our congregation of five or 600 people in central Wisconsin. She had the craziest stories would go with her too. Like God just radiated out of her. She was holding, I'll tell you a couple of them. She was holding a prayer meeting in her house one time. And she had this group of people, it was this prayer meeting, Bible study type deal. And one of the, her regular attendees at the Bible study brought her friend who was Chinese. And uh, the friend didn't speak very much English at all, just enough to barely kind of track with the Bible study. And so they, um, they read the Bible for a while and talked about it, and then they held a time of prayer. And Ola began praying in the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues. And she prayed, and she prayed, and she prayed. And when the prayer meeting was over, the Chinese guest of the friend that came to Ola's uh, prayer meeting nudged her and said, how does your friend know Mandarin? She goes, who, you're talking about Ola? Ola doesn't know Mandarin. She goes, she was speaking perfectly fluent Mandarin. She goes, no, Ola doesn't know any Mandarin, right? She's full of the Holy Spirit. She just kind of, and God spoke a word into this Chinese woman's soul. Using Ola's prayer language, full of the Holy Spirit. Another time Ola was at Shopko. You remember Shopko? I think it still exists. 
Is that Shopko? In central Wisconsin, those are the kind of stores that you must shop at because that's it. There's, there's like nothing else. There's like Perkins Family Restaurants and Shopko's everywhere. <laughs> and she was at a Shopko one time and she was going to get whatever it was she needed. And as she's there, sort of dinking around with things, all of a sudden people next to her, like the other shoppers, I swear to God, I'm not lying, by the way, start falling down. <laughs> slain in the Holy Spirit. Ola. Four foot zero, German woman, hobbit, full of the Holy Spirit, right? And so these people are getting slain in the Spirit, falling out under the power of God. Ola is so embarrassed by this that she runs out to her car and she goes, Jesus, don't you ever do that again. You were making a scene. Do that in Shavko, Right? Full of the Holy Spirit. My first real interaction with Ola was when I was in about fourth grade or so. And she came, uh, I was in this, uh, this, our church had this private Christian school. And uh, so my teacher invited her to come and teach a Bible class for us one day. And so Ola came and talked to us about the Holy Spirit. And I don't remember anything that she said. But when she was done, she said, hey, now I want to spend some time praying over you. Will you get up and will you stand? And so we all stood. And Ola went around to each of us, praying for each of us. Again, did I mention she's four foot zero German lady, Ola, small, unimposing, withered old woman at this point. And she's going around to us. We're fourth and fifth graders, maybe. And as she's praying for us, we're just like getting, I mean, just, just laid out by the power of God. And I remember she came up to me. And I'd had a lot of profound experiences with God up to that point, just being a church kid, but never quite like this, this little tiny lady who at that point was shorter than me, you know, and I'm in fourth grade. And she got real close to me, and she just blew on me. And I hit the deck. And was, I mean, like, could not get up for the better part of an hour, 90 minutes as the Lord ministered to things in me and opened up things in me. And, spoke. and it was like a feeling of peace, like I cannot describe. And it was just this woman who carried around the Holy Spirit. And years later, Mandy and I were engaged. Uh, about, uh, we got married pre- pretty young. I was 19. So I was 18, and we were engaged. And the summer, that summer before we got married, um, I was home in Wisconsin. Uh, so it was in between my freshman and my sophomore year. And my mom said, Andrew, you need to go. And you need to spend, you and Mandy need to, to spend some time with Ola. This time she was just living in this little tiny apartment in central Wisconsin. So we went and we spent, I don't know, the better part of an hour with her. And we asked her about her life and we shared some stories. And she asked us about her upcoming wedding and all of that. And then I asked her, I just, you know, she was such a legend to me. And I just, I thought to myself, it has to be the case that Ola has some like big secret that she's discovered. Like there's some like mystical um, key of knowledge that she's discovered that's unlocked this like incredible power, this incredible glory in her life. And so I got so I ask her, I go, Ola, what is it that you do? Like, like, what is the engine that drives this life of faith that you have? And you know what she said to me? She said, oh, she said, well, you know, I, um, I just open the scriptures every morning. And I just wait on God. And I listen to him. And I give my heart to him. And I let Jesus awaken new trust in me again for him. And then I live. And I went, 
And what else do you do? There's got to be some technology that you figured out, some magical key, some mystery, some great secret that you've figured out that powers this for you. And for Ola, it wasn't at all. The secret of it for Ola, the engine that drove this whole life of holiness, was her daily and continual practice of bringing herself before the God who has made known in Jesus the testimony of whom is captured in the written record of Scripture. It's as simple as can be. And do you know, I have you know, spent the last 10 or 15 years immersing myself in church history, and one of the things that I am amazed by is that when you start digging through the great mystical tradition of the church, so those people that knew God the closest, do you know what you find? That there are no great secrets to this. Other than they do what we have always done. They come to the scripture, and they believe that somehow in the scripture, the living God, Jesus Christ, is made known to them. And so they give themselves over. Like they, they come into this text. Paul actually says at one point, this is Second Timothy. He says that all scripture is, do you know what he says next? Say it loud if you know it. All scripture is God breathed. That means that when we encounter the written text of scripture, we are feeling the sweet breath of God on our face. Like the parents who get down on the faces of their children, like Moses in the tent of meeting. All scripture is God breathed. There's like this mystical quality to scripture. That when we come to it, we find that it has this. You know how when we take communion, we believe that the bread and the cup become more than bread and cup? That they don't just sort of stay there, and it's not just sort of a memorial or an intellectual remembrance. But there's a reason that when we take communion, we get up and we say, the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, after he'd given thanks, he took the bread And he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them and he said, take this and eat. This is my, yeah, guys. In the church, ordinary things become quite extraordinary when God uses them. And scripture is the same way, that it's not just ink on paper. It's not just words on a page, but in the hands of God, it like becomes part of his breath. It's the way that he speaks to us. And so what we do in the church is we come lovingly and patiently and open-heartedly into the scriptures, and we trust that somehow through them, God is speaking to us. We sink down deep, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and we stop. And we let that thought sink into us. What great love that the Father has lavished on us. That he's lavished on us. Wait, what? I wandered into prayer this morning, God, and I had this image of you where I thought that you were stingy with me and that you were withholding things from me. And it turns out that you're not stingy with me and you're not withholding things from me. But it's a great love that you've, you've lavished on us that we should be called the, the children of God. And I find that something starts shifting in my soul. 
The universe all of a sudden takes on a different color, a different meaning, a different significance. And I find that in the scripture, a whole new world of possibility has unfurled for me. And I can wake up into the kingdom of God. But that's what this is about. That God speaks to us. He breathes upon us. The Holy Spirit comes to us through the scriptures and ministers the life of Christ to us. And we rise up into all, who, all that God is. Are you with me this morning? Guys, guys. What I'm saying to you this morning is that that low-grade deprivation of soul that most of us live with is entirely unnecessary. God is present and he is available and he's given us tools, methods, means, pathways of coming into his presence. And these pathways are not complicated and they're not hard. They're just mostly untried. We don't do them. And because we don't do them, we spend most of our lives, most of our waking hours wandering around in this hopeless twilight of fog and confusion and anxiety and fear. And I'm telling you this morning that God has more for us. He has more for you. The living God's heart is breaking for you. And for me, he's going, I have so much more for them. What are they doing? Why are they wallowing with the swine? The path is open. They can come home whenever they want to. This path into the heart of God in prayer, I think, is made more challenging when we have uh, misunderstandings about what prayer actually is. Sometimes we reduce prayer to this. You can put the next slide up on the screen. We reduce prayer to more or less formulaic approaches, formulaic praying. And so we go, okay, here's the new, you know, everybody, the reason I... The reason that there's so many books on prayer out there, I'm convinced, one of the reasons, is that people are just really gullible. We're always sort of trying to lock into the next new thing. And so somebody writes the next famous fancy book on prayer in which they give you the six keys and the six secrets to unlock your prayer life. And uh, novelty is not a good thing in the spiritual life, by the way. Like the universe has not changed. And the human nature has not changed since God created it. There are tried and tested, approved ways of walking into the presence of God. And one of the things that we do in the church, and we make people very confused by this, is we have formulaic praying. We go, this is what you must first do, number one, then number two, then number three, then number four. And if you just work the process, you'll experience God. How many of you know that human relationships don't work that way? And what if you did that with your best friend, right? Okay, oh, that's right. I'm getting ready to meet with my, my good friend. What are the five keys? What are the, yeah, shower. It's actually a pretty good key. What are the five steps to experiencing intimacy with my friend? Number one, rehearse our history together. Number two, thank my friend for being my friend. Is that it? Number four, ask my, no, go, number three is the thing that I have to do. It's outrageous. It's like we're reducing God to a machine. It doesn't work like that. I'm married. I've been married for 17 years. There is no reducing that relationship to step one, step two, step three, step four. 
You're telling me one of the worst missteps I ever made in my relationship with my wife was early on in our marriage. I was like, I remember thinking to myself, I was like, you know, Andrew, you need to do something nice for your wife on a regular basis. And so I actually put it in my day timer, my calendar. I can't even remember what I said. It was like, do something nice for a wife or something. <laughs> and Mandy discovered it. You had to put that in your calendar? Right? <laughs> what? What is the matter with you, man? Go in timeout. I went in timeout for a while. But we do this with God, don't we? What's the thing I have to do? Oh, acts. I think it's adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. No, no, I don't. Stop. This is your dad. It's your father. It's your friend. The spirit of the living God who knit you together in your mother's womb is not waiting for your formulas. He's waiting for your presence, your attention. We reduce it to formulaic praying. Next thing I think that we do sometimes, put the next slide up on the screen, is that we turn prayer into the heavenly claims department. Good morning, God. There's some stuff going on we got to talk about. I got to pass this class that I'm failing. I don't have a job lined up when I graduate. The relationship with that girl that I'm with is kind of going haywire. My parents are annoying me. I'm not sure if I have enough money to pay for my, my, my car and help out with that earthquake that happened somewhere on the other side of the In Jesus' name, amen. And this becomes, this is a way of reducing our, relational, our, our relationship with God to a transactional relationship. As though God is just exists to just hear that stuff that we sort of throw up to him, the heavenly claims department, right? Or customer service, heavenly customer service. God, my life is busted. This thing, this thing you gave me doesn't work. Here, take it. I want my money back or fix it or give me a new one. When you figure that out, I'll... it's better than that. God is not the heavenly claims department. Sometimes the other thing that we do, I've been guilty of this one more than once, next slide, is that we turn our prayer life into charismania. We come barging into the presence of God. Dear Lord, Father God, I thank you in the name of Jesus that, oh, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, thank you, Lord Jesus. On the, and we just drive out the demons and the devils, and we thank you, Lord Jesus, Father God, and we just promise and half the time, we don't even know what we're saying. <laughs> I'm sure God is like, I, hey, whenever you're done, man. <laughs> if we could just talk, it'd be great. We need new images, better images for how to pray, how we can pray, how we can interact with God. Richard Foster, in his wonderful book on prayer, gives us a beautiful image. Listen to this. He says, Today the heart of God is an open wound of love. He aches over our distance and our preoccupation. He mourns that we do not draw near to him. He grieves that we have forgotten him. He weeps over our obsession with muchness and manyness. He longs for our presence. And he's inviting you 
and me to come home. To come home to where we belong. To come home to that for which we are created. His arms are stretched out wide to receive us. His heart is enlarged to take us in. For too long, we've been in a far country. A country of noise and hurry and crowds. A country of climb and push and shove. A country of frustration and fear and intimidation. And he welcomes us home. Home to serenity and peace and joy. Home to friendship and fellowship and openness. Home to intimacy and acceptance and affirmation. We don't need to be shy, he says. He invites us into the living room of his heart where we can put on old slippers and share freely. He invites us into the kitchen of his friendship where chatter and batter mix in good fun. He invites us into the dining room of his strength where we can feast to our heart's delight. He invites us into the study of his wisdom where we can learn and grow and stretch and ask all the questions that we want. He invites us into the workshop of his creativity where we can be co-laborers with him, working together with him to determine the outcome of events. He invites us into the bedroom of his rest where new peace is found and where we can be naked and vulnerable and free. It's also the place of deepest intimacy where we know and are known to the fullest. The key to this home, this heart of God, is prayer. And loving is the syntax of prayer. To be effective prayers, we need to be effective lovers. Real prayer, Richard Foster says, comes not from gritting our teeth, but from falling in love. Would you just still yourself for a moment here? We've got a few minutes left before we have to be dismissed. And I, um, I want to just model for you how I think this can work. How we can begin stepping into the intimacy of God. Find our hearts healed and made whole in his presence. What I want you to do, you can drop the shades, those, whoever's running that in the back. And I want to just invite you just to still yourself. Close your eyes, get quiet, and uh, that'll take a second. It almost feels like something scary is about to happen to us, (laughs) but I think we'll be fine. And, uh, okay, good. So just get yourself real still and real quiet, and um, remember, I want you to remember that God is present to you, fully present. You know, that's the doctrine of God's omnipresence, is that he is fully present with all that he is at every point in space. That is a shocking thought. But he is as present to you as he could possibly be. So your task right here is just to become present to him. And that means don't hide anything, okay? So your hopes and your dreams and your longings for the future, don't hide that. Your fear and your frustration and your questions, don't hide that either. Just I want you in your heart to picture, actually I want you to picture that you're sitting in a living room with God. Do that. Close your eyes. And as you're sitting, you're in a comfy chair and he's in a comfy chair across from you. And as you're sitting with him, all the things that you brought in, you're laying them down between the two of you so that he can see everything. And there's honesty in the relationship. 
And as you're in that space, I want to read this scripture over you. And I want you just to drink in delight and let this scripture be like the breath of God on your face and on your heart. And I don't want you to analyze the scripture with your mind, okay? I want you to feel it. Feel it in your bones. Feel it in your body. Feel it with your soul. And there might be a word or a phrase that really stands out to you. I want you to just attach to that. And let that be the pathway into God's presence for you. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Would you just begin in your own way to give thanks to God for that? For that word or phrase or little moment that woke up in your heart? Would you just let that be the pathway into intimacy? And say it out loud. This is... We're one-on-one, but we're also we-on-three <laughs> with God, right? So you can say it out loud. You say, thank you. Thank you. Just begin to lift up your adoration to him. Say, thank you. Thank you that the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that when we were far off, came running after us. Thank you that even though we have no business being in relationship with each other, you keep seeking us and finding us. We thank you that there is nothing that we can go through that separates us from your love. And there's nothing that we can experience in this life that breaks our communion with you and therefore our hope in our future. And so, Lord, I'm praying this morning for all of those that are walking through a time of suffering, a time of pain, a time of trial, a time of tribulation. Would your breath be near? Would your spirit be near? And would you awaken hope, awaken faith in them? Let them boast in the sufferings knowing that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Do it, Lord. Do it. Let me read it once again to you. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. 
And not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And a hope doesn't put us to shame. God, we're speaking to all shame in this room this morning. We're thanking you that you're driving out all shame, that you have driven out all shame, that all shame was nailed to the cross of Christ and we have nothing to be ashamed of. Hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. Some of you are experiencing the Holy Spirit's presence in a really profound way this morning. Would you just drink that in? Go palms up if you would and just receive it. God's love has been poured out by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Receive the love of God. Receive the love of God. Receive the love of God. We worship you. I'm wondering if there are some of you that are in this room with us this morning who are in a place of real dryness. You feel like God has been distant from you and you just like to receive prayer. Um, Would you stick your hand up real high if that's you? There's weariness in your soul. And you could use a fresh touch from the Lord. Oh, man, that's so good. Hey, keep your hands lifted real high. Those of you around these folks, would you lay your hands on them? And then also some of our leaders here in, in young adults, would you come around these folks? Just spread out throughout the room and just lay your hands on them. If you have your hand high, keep your hand held high. If you have your hand held high and somebody has their high, hand held high next to you, use your other hand to lay hands on them. And we're just praying. We're praying for a touch from the Lord. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. God, we thank you that you are driving all weariness of soul away. That every ache and every longing of heart that you're answering with the goodness of your presence. We thank you that you're making all things new. We thank you that as the rain of your spirit is falling on sons and daughters, that you're opening up new space in them to receive you. We're thanking you just like the water courses of the Negev, as the psalmist says, that they run again. They run again. Rivers of delight and rivers of joy. And you're causing flowers to bloom in the desert. So we pray, wake up. Wake up. All the dreams, all the longings, all the hopes, all the expectations. Lord, we're speaking to every sphere of disappointment and failure in this place. Lord, We're praying that by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would just chase that, that you would cause that to go, that your fatherly affirmation would ring out over sons and daughters, and that you'd fill them with freshness, fill them with freshness, fill them with fire, fill them, we pray, with the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Peter said in one of his great sermons, he says, repent and turn to the Lord that times of refreshing may come and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. We're praying for times and seasons of refreshing. Times and seasons of refreshing. We're praying that the scriptures would sing again to these sons and daughters as they read, that prayer would be fresh again. That all of the things that are stuck, that those things would get unstuck in the name of Jesus. Every place where we're hung up, God, I'm asking that wherever there is hurt and bitterness 
and unforgiveness. Lord, the pain of unmet expectations with other people. I'm praying that you would wash that away, that rivers of your mercy would fall down on sons and daughters. That you touch each person. That you touch each person. Grant that, we pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said. Let's pray together as the Lord taught us. If you know the Lord's Prayer, say it with me. Let's stand together. Don't you just love God's presence? It's so near. Don't make it hard. This is, I promise you, this is, this is exclusively a matter of discipline. It's 10 minutes. It's 10 minutes. Did you come grab your favorite psalm? And if, if that psalm is the one piece of the Bible that you read for the rest of your life, I promise you, you'll be fine. You're, you're going to get by okay with Psalm 23, okay? Or Psalm 91 or Psalm 139, you know? Or if Matthew 5 or Romans 8 or Ephesians 1, those are your favorite. Or 1 John 3, those are your favorite. Just sink down deep, guys, into those places. And don't wander around in the twilight, <laughs> the fog. And you don't need to do it. He's so near and he's so present. So we join our prayer and our praise together. We pray together as the Lord taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You can cut the music real quick. Let's, uh, let's sing the doxology together. You know it? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you.